0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. This is the one and only Maverick Podcast, and I'm your host, DJ Maverick. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Oklahoma's first undocumented attorney, the one and only Javier Hernandez. Welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me today. I'm very excited to just share my time with you and uh, really listening to your podcast here and, and and like being inspired by music my whole life and just being touched by music. Uh, I'm ready to get through this playlist and, and awesome. hopefully share some of those stories with, uh, with our people.
0: For sure. And I want to say just like when I got your list, it looks a lot like what, what my list would look like if I was rolling around in the car. We're going from like Michael Buble to like Tupac to like everywhere. So, I'm really gonna enjoy the show i have a feeling it's gonna be a great one so welcome once again for the people that may not know you i know that you know you you're pretty famous around here right so probably everybody here in oklahoma already knows who you are but just give us an elevator pitch of kind of who you are and what you do for a living
1: absolutely well thank you again my name is javier giovanni hernandez gonzalez Uh, i am oklahoma's first undocumented attorney i was born in mexico city raised in Oklahoma City. I've been here since I was one and so OKC is home. Uh, Fortunate to uh, be able to advocate for education through a board member position that I have with the uh, Dove Science Academy Charter Public Schools and also uh, to be an advocate for immigrant rights as a board member with Dream Action Oklahoma. And aside from that I'm a soccer advocate with the football factory and so I do the law.
0: Yeah, I see a lot of that on on your IG. A lot of soccer. Yeah, a lot of soccer. <laughs> Even a lot of drone footage, right? You do a lot of stuff with drones, yeah, right? So
1: I'm trying to uh, trying to get into that a little bit more. Understand the whole um, content creation, video creations, photos, and and so I've enjoyed that as well. That's all just kind of part of uh, what I do with the football factory, what I do with our law office, and then overall as a personal brand.
0: Okay, awesome. So tell me, where did you grow up? Did you grow up here in Oklahoma?
1: Yeah, so I grew up off of uh, Southwest 20th and May in Oak Grove.
0: No way. Uh, yeah. Really? Dude, I'm Southwest yep. 22nd. South <laughs> to sea. Sierra so Village. Just a couple blocks. Yeah. yeah.
1: Wow. A couple wow. blocks over. Uh, so I probably rode my bike up and down your street a few times. Um, I had a good friend, uh, Ivan. Um, who lived just on twenty? I think he lived on the end of twenty second. Yep, yep, for Ivan sure. Ivan and Bianca. Yeah, and so uh, we spent some time over there. And then I had a couple other friends who lived on twenty first. Emmanuel, shout out Emmanuel and Preston. And it's so, a
0: small world, huh? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so did you but go no, to Grant? I, no. So I um, from fifth grade, I went straight to Dove Science Academy. Okay. And and I was at Dove Science Academy from sixth grade to twelfth grade. Okay. Uh, throughout that time, of course, uh, I did get kind of pulled and uh, said, hey, come come to school at Santa Fe South or come to school uh, at Grant or join us over here to, so we can, you know, create a power soccer team. Uh, but coming out of elementary, um, I knew I knew that if I went to Roosevelt, where I was supposed to go to uh, middle school, I would have probably gotten into some trouble. yeah. And so as soon as fifth grade hit or like the end of fifth grade, a lot of my classmates started receiving applications for all the charter private schools like Aztec, uh, Belle Isle. Class in probably, right? Class in, right. And so I, w- I was wondering for myself, like, when in, when is my application coming? Mm-hmm. And so my mom always just said, focus on your education, you know, stay out of trouble. And so that was, uh, that's, I said, you know, I can't go to Roosevelt kind of thought that thought that out to myself and started applied for whatever schools we got and uh, I was lucky enough to get into Dove Science Academy and I went there sixth grade not knowing anyone I think I knew two people that were there uh we're a tiny school anyway yeah but but to go into a whole new school like that just right away was was a shocker in itself I can imagine what it would have been like at Roosevelt just knowing the people in the hallway knowing you know yeah well, do, i went to about?
0: uh moon middle school so at that time
1: okay. it was like
0: you know no hispanics pretty much there so i was like way by myself i went there for like a year and then i also went to jackson middle school mm-hmm. and that was also pretty tough so yeah. <laughs> you know i think you made the, the the wise decision you know going to dove so congratulations there for sure yeah, thank
1: you <laughs> i i can say I, I went to jackson but uh i really only went to jackson to play soccer and we spent so much time there during the summers from like sixth grade up until like ninth or tenth. Every day we would be out there playing soccer and what used to be the old tennis courts and yeah. the old little uh, soccer field with the small goals they had on that side. Yep. Uh, we would get anywhere from 20 to 30 people out there on a daily basis and just play for hours.
0: I guess you were for sure athletic, but were you also outgoing or were you more shy or what kind of kid were you growing up?
1: So, growing up, I was, you know, before I really started playing soccer, I was more of a kind of slow, just taking things as they come. Uh, but then when I started playing soccer, I think that's when I started being more active, uh, being more outgoing, realizing, uh, like, the like the idea of a team. And so, uh, all in through, like, elementary, I was always trying to be involved in doing different things. Uh, I was a peer mediator, which uh, at that time... I didn't really knew, know what it meant, but we were just hall monitors, basically. Uh, yeah, I think
0: my little brother did that. Uh, he, he was part of that. So yeah. <laughs> I
1: definitely It rings a bell, for sure. It rings a bell, doesn't it? So uh, I had the opportunity to do that early on, and probably up until, well, I played a lot of soccer, um, and my parents helped me move around a lot, but then I also realized that my parents couldn't always take me to games and so that also kind of forced me to step out of my comfort zone by catching rides with other friends, catching rides with other players and their families, and then getting to see how other families interact as well kind of uh, impacted the way that I just kind of lived my life as, as a child and then up until that young adulthood.
0: Okay, awesome. So uh, we're going to get into your list here. We're going to start off With the straight banger conjunto primavera (laughs) tell me a little bit about this track and what it means to you
1: so conjunto primavera is actually my dad's favorite like favorite music of all time yeah like uh i you know from this i think this album was from 97 or 98 and so i was five six years old you know listening to this and and then my dad has always loved their music, and I don't know that he's ever got to see them live. And mm-hmm. so that, you know, that to listen, I, I, w- I went through the multiple albums thinking like, which song am I really gonna play? But it, as I listened through the songs, I realized like some, a lot of these songs are about love and like a, maybe a forgotten love or a love that he'll never maybe be able to Lots touch Lots of breakups. Again. Yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> one way that I thought about that was like my, my dad having to leave his family right that's that's a a breakup we don't talk about often but him leaving from mexico to come to the us uh with his a couple of his siblings like that was a breakup in itself and then i think about that in my mom's context and then when how they met here uh because he's my biological father or sorry he's not my biological father and but he's been with us since i was one and so Uh so to kind of think back now on what this music really meant to him and how he was able to connect with it and then also the love that he shows my mom and that he showed us all you know through through our youth until now uh yeah like this song and and just conjunto primavera had to make the list
0: yeah that's awesome i think uh for music i think it's uh a way to stay connected to with the culture right because our parents you know leave basically everything right to try to give us a better future here so they leave family they leave jobs friends you know you name it so i think music it kind of keeps them connected and kind of makes them feel like hey you know i still have that little bit of part you know with me and i haven't given it all up so i think that's why probably music is huge within our culture what do you think about that
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My wife was mentioning this earlier, she heard it on a Peloton ride. Uh, It said, art art colors uh, space, music colors time. And so I think with that, and then music also being always accessible, whether it was live music or the radio or someone that knew how to play an instrument, like music has always been a part of our culture and our people more than anything. Uh, And it's just a different way to connect you know like like you heard you you knew who conjunto primavera was right you're like oh yeah so yeah this, this <laughs> yeah, for sure right here
0: yeah <laughs> so this one right here i guess it reminds you of happiness and family even though the song is a little bit sad right it's talking about i don't care anymore you know if i lose you or whatever but I guess for you, this song is happiness and family, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this song was one of those uh, when you would wake up to, or you would wake up when your mom's cleaning, and it'd be like the yeah. the third <laughs> song that plays from the time that her whole playlist starts. And yeah, for sure. Her also singing it at the top of her lungs, and just takes me back to those times as well.
0: Awesome. So tell me, uh, at a young age, so you got into soccer. Did you think that uh, you were going to be an athlete, that you were going to go pro, uh, you know, as a kid or what were your aspirations like being a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Yeah. So early on, uh, of course, any any soccer player would tell you they want to be a professional soccer player. And so we grew up watching Mexican soccer and and I was really the only soccer I knew until probably like 15, 16, when I started learning more about the other leagues that existed. But I always, I always tell clients this, I say, I say, yeah, I practiced my signature a lot growing up because I thought one day I would be famous and signing my,
0: got to get the autograph,
1: signing my autograph (laughs) a lot. Yeah. And so absolutely, you know, that was one of my ultimate goals. And, and of course, as time kind of went on, I realized that maybe that wasn't where I would land. Uh, I went through, I went to Mid-America Christian University where I played my four years of, of college ball. And before that, our high school uh, didn't have a team until our sophomore year. So we did okay in our, high, in our high school times, and I applied to a ton of schools, and I thought to myself, what school do I need to go to to go pro? Um, and then I kind of gave, gave up on the idea of going pro because I wanted to focus on my studies. Yeah. And so, uh, which is one of the songs on our list. is pretty funny because it goes to that. But soccer was number one. And soccer, uh, I think, was what also kind of kept me out, helped me step outside of my neighborhood, but then also out of my comfort zone. And yeah. ultimately, yeah, number one, I, number one goal was to become a pro. After okay. a few injuries, I was like, ah, that's not gonna happen.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, in school, were you always like a a good grades kind of guy, or did, were there some years where it was a little struggle, or were you always like a you know straight A kind of guy?
1: Yeah, I was always the straight-A kid. Uh, the only complaint my mom would ever get is, Ese niño habla mucho. I talk to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one complaint and my mom would always just say, I, I told you to be quiet, but, you know, I get it from my mom. She's the one that, that talks more and is a bit louder. But I was always fortunate to have... Uh, I, I look back now on the time that I had with my teachers, and I've, I think I was so fortunate to have the teachers that I had because... Not only did they educate us, but they didn't force the education on us. It seemed like it was more of a, let's learn together rather than here, learn it yourself. Um, okay. And I had, I was, I was I mentioned this before to a few other people, but I was fortunate. I had a black principal. I had um, a Native American counselor. Um, in pre-K, I had, you know, it, even now we see it more, but we had a Latina um, assistant and then i had a, a black teacher in third grade and so just i was i was kind of exposed to a little diversity early on uh, yeah that's awesome and then a ton when i got to Dove science academy when it went from uh, a traditional school to um, like an 80 percent turkish staff okay
0: you know something interesting right now it's like cool to be smart and to be entrepreneur and to go to college and all that but I don't know if it was the same for you, but whenever I was growing up, that was not cool. Right. So, you know, hitting the books and like not ditching and not like having fun in school and all that, like that wasn't the cool thing to do. So that was always a struggle for me. Was that a struggle for you?
1: Uh, Not so much uh, for the, I think it just kind of goes back to my mom always being on my butt. Like you're going to school to learn and you can camp, you can come home and have fun after. And, and for me, like, when I think about it now my parents sat there early on to help me with my homework not understanding what it all meant and then they they asked me to do the same with my sister but sibling to sibling is just never the same um, yeah <laughs> it, it's never it's never the same um,
0: so you never had like the peer pressure to like you know do the wrong thing or go ditching or anything from your friends like you never had to experience that
1: um early on uh, not. Not ditching or anything like that. It was more of, um, let's stay out late. Let's go over here and and meet up with these people. Uh, In the neighborhood I grew up with and then with my cousin, uh, the peer pressure there was more of like staying away from the gangs uh, because I had cousins who were Juaritos. And then just up the street, we had Southside. And then just over on the other block, we had Central. And so I was the one that would just hang out with everyone. And so, yeah that's how I
0: was I was like they're just friends right. like, yeah you know, I didn't even really know what it meant to be in a gang I mean I knew they were in a gang but you know what they did on their personal time didn't really affect me so I was kind of cool with yeah. everybody I didn't really care
1: and, and see that's yeah. that's the way I was I, I just thought you know everyone's my friend here we're not here to cause anyone any trouble or any problems um, but then you know uh, you find out that some of the people you were hanging out with are in jail or Um, unfortunately lost their life being part of the gang um, or they just their life isn't where they wanted it to be because they joined the gang so early on and then fell into a few of the traps that or I guess negative side that comes with it Um, but yeah I was just I was just friendly with everyone I'd I'd kind of hang out and uh, I remember the first time I saw a gun and uh my friend comes over from the other street and he's like, look what I got. And I'm like, uh, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and, oh. uh, he like loads it up, shoots it into the Creek. And my mom comes out of the house screaming at me, la casa, non you know, don't be out there doing those types of things. And yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, early on, my mom was always just on like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that I, that I listened to her and, and, uh, I didn't bring any trouble into our home and to our, to our family.
0: Yeah, for sure. Tell me about uh, this next song right here. It's definitely one you always have to dance, you know, whenever this comes on, on a party or anything like that, right?
1: Yes. Los Angeles Azules. So this song and Los Angeles Azules and Los Angeles de Charlie and the whole Cumbia movement as a whole, my mom always says, uh, she doesn't drink or didn't like to get drunk, pero para bailar, She was there for all of it like that was her number one thing she was there to dance and that's her fun and so this music my family being from ciudad mexico is like in their core uh yeah
0: and they do all the crazy spins and stuff right like they dance cumbia like different than the whole like the rest of the states of mexico right
1: completely different it's its its own (laughs) flavor uh unfortunately i haven't learned all the all the skills but man you
0: need to step it up
1: <laughs> I, I do I, I need to set up some dance classes for for all of us um but this takes me back to to my tío fidel who passed away when i was uh, i was early i was young i was probably in my early teens 12 13 and we would just sit we'd have family parties and and they'd be like Esta le, le encantan a tu tío fidel. and so they'd start bumping in everybody started dancing and then after he passed away uh, you know the same thing anytime they came on odd Ethiopia lives that and he was the very first uncle that passed away and uh, before any, I think it was probably like five years before we lost anyone else in our family and so this song is just like one of those that that takes you back to really to to the, my parents youth uh, my family's youth. But
0: Probably reminds you of uh, some carne asadas too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And So it, it carries <laughs> it's a, on. It's essential. Yeah, it's essential for carne asadas, yeah. for sure. And as soon
1: as you hear the, the first beat, right, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, it's about to get
0: real. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I like that. So, uh, let's see. You're you're into soccer. You're you're doing good in school. At what point do you decide? Hey, you know, college is, is it for me? Like, I definitely think I can go to school. I know that I had the ambition to go to college, but I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. Right. Yeah. Like my parents, you know, they're, they they could not afford college. So I knew I had to like either get scholarships or, you know, work or do something to go to college. You know, how did you figure that out?
1: Yeah. So we were just fortunate to be a, a college prep school. So early on, eighth grade, everyone starts applying for your FAFSA, or not your FAFSA, for Oklahoma's Promise and, and start, start thinking about taking the ACT or the pre-ACT so you can start doing concurrent enrollment classes. Um, but early on, 8th uh, grade, ninth grade, when I was completing my Oklahoma Promise or OLAP application, that was when I like, really encountered my first struggle as an undocumented person. And that was because the application for OLAP asked if you were a U.S. citizen or a resident. I was neither, okay. but I didn't know that.
0: Oh, so up to that point you were just like you you're oblivious of like your, your legal status you were just like you know i'm just like everybody else right
1: yeah i thought you know we're we're here and we're here to stay no matter what we don't need any documents yeah. didn't even know we needed documents to be here in the u.s right and so that was when i found that out i took the application home sat down spoke with my parents and that's when i when i learned that um so it was it was a very interesting Transition from finding out that I'm undocumented than planning for college, but yeah. I was fortunate to receive money from OLAP because at that time it wasn't a requirement; it was just a question on the application. And okay. and so then my counselor started ta- started helping me, you know, apply for this school, apply for that school, think about where you want to be. And I think I ended up applying to like 20 plus schools and got accepted to 20 plus schools. Uh, okay, my grades are good. My ACT was good. I was in a bunch of extracurriculars, but then the big question was, how are we going to pay for it? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah.
0: Cause I tell. let me, let me tell you a story. So it's good that you had that support system from your counselor at your school, because I remember when I went to my counselor, uh, they were like, you know, you have good grades, but unfortunately I don't think you can, you know, go to college. I don't think you have the funds. And they were like, well, why don't you go to Metro Tech? Why don't you go to a tech school? And why don't you do like AC repair or something like that? You know, they make pretty good money. You know, nothing against that career, you know, if you like it or whatever. But I knew that it wasn't for me, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, growing up, I had to, you know, work with my dad and manual labor, lots of hard work. And I was like, this is not for me. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm going to hit the books and I want to do something different. So when she told me that, that was kind of... You know a kickstarter like I, I better kick it up you know i better get get my grades up and do whatever i can to, to try to make it happen so you're fortunate that your counselor was like supportive of that idea and said hey let's let's figure this out so you just started applying to lots of scholarships and lots of schools it sounded like right
1: yeah yeah and so you know on your point of doing that hard labor early on uh, from the time I turned 14 to about the time I was 18, I worked with my uncle uh, recycling pallets. And oh, okay. that was not easy. Uh, <laughs> nah,
0: I can imagine, you know, especially in the summertime.
1: Especially in the summertime. Uh, we were there at 6 a.m., would leave at 6 p.m., uh, and it wasn't just recycling pallets. So, you know, in, in, in the recycling process, we would run these pallets through this crazy machine that was chopping up all the nails, Uh, we would be stacking pallets 20 20 pallets high we would also recycle cardboard so we would hit up uh, like Walgreens and pick up those big bells of cardboard and have to flip flip them on onto our uh, onto our truck or a trailer whatever we were driving and so that was part of it too you know that hard labor and before that my parents my family have always recycled pallets so picking up pallets around the neighborhood around businesses making some extra cash and so I knew that 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 hard work was always there. And I knew that I was, I just needed to do something a little bit more. Um, yeah,
0: I think the, the manual labor plays a big part, you know, it kind of puts a ship on your holder on your shoulder to be like, you know, you, you want to do better than this because you see how hard your family members work and you're like, I I want something else. Right. Like they didn't give up everything for me to just like Slack, you know, so that was a motivator for me. It was like, they left everything to try to give us a, a better future. I can't screw this up. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, but like you mentioned, yeah, I, I started applying for all those schools, all those scholarships. And first one, OSU, Stillwater was my number one goal to go to school. Uh, architectural engineering is what I wanted to do. Architecture really my goal. And one of my life goals is to just build a, a community basically. Uh, Better than the Wheeler district here in OKC, that's more for our people. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, But that was architectural engineering. And unfortunately, I had, well, fortunately, I had a ton of scholarship to OSU Stillwater. But a lot of that money was federal and state aid. Because of my undocumented status, I couldn't accept that federal or state aid from OSU. And so about a month and a half before school starts, they gave me a call and said, hey, you know, that money we offered you, well, we can't give it to you right now. And we don't think it would be smart for you to accept it. Oh, man. So uh, So
0: you were like planning on going to that school. And then last minute, they kind of just pulled everything from you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which, uh, um, you know, maybe there was something else that could have been done. But at that time, it was just it was just so fresh or like being undocumented or or coming out of the light as an undocumented person wasn't such a big deal at the time um yeah and then it happened to me at usao the university of science and arts of oklahoma where uh, i had been offered a presidential leadership scholarship and i go in for orientation i show up to the registrar and they ask me for proof of citizenship and at that time i didn't know how to go about it so i freaked out and never went back to the school and so then there goes another full-ride scholarship essentially and uh, Mid-America Christian University that I mentioned where I w- actually ended up attending uh, had already had a few undocumented students, and so they, uh, and they were a private school, and so then they had a little bit more leniency on how or who could get, receive money. And, okay. and fortunately for me, um, I, was, I was there, and they, they helped me get through the whole process. Uh, they offered me scholarship money for soccer for my grades and OLAP covered some of my tuition. So I ended up going to four years of college for uh, like a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks. And then I finished that off and worked for a year before I went off to law school.
0: Okay, so your uh, undergrad. Did you end up doing architecture or what did you do for undergrad?
1: Yeah, so my undergrad was all math. Um, okay. I, I was kind of stuck and didn't know what to study. Uh, I did want to do math was just easy for me. I didn't like reading. I didn't like writing. And coming from dove, there was a big focus on science and math. And at that time, mid America didn't have a science program. So there was no way I could do anything in the science in the science world. And so I stuck through, went, went on math and then come my senior year, we got, we finally started a science program. And then I thought to myself, maybe I'll go be a teacher. And I, I took one class on how to teach math and I was like, no, I can't do that. Uh, I just, I just, <laughs> Not it, for you, huh? it wasn't for me. And then I thought about doing, uh, I, I thought about maybe being like an actuary doing, uh, you know, calculating risk. And, yeah. and then, uh, the, the final, my final thought with the math side of it was maybe I'll just be a tutor and start like a tutoring business, a tutoring program. Um, yeah with math you
0: definitely had more options you know I'm glad you didn't do like letters or history or something (laughs) because sometimes if people want to be lawyers they they just take like a general thing like letters or something and then if you don't end up going to law school like there's really not much you can do with that degree you know so math was definitely a good thing but at what point did you were like okay well I don't want to be a teacher you know I've got this math degree how do you decide then to go into law school
1: yeah so I was already working with an attorney uh, during my time at Mid-America. And so when I finished undergrad, I took a year off and I worked at the indoor soccer arena and I worked at the law office. And during that time, the attorney, Lambert Dunn, that I'm a partner with now, he said, you should take the LSAT. And I thought to myself, maybe the, maybe I should, I don't know. And he, he gave me this crazy weird stat was like, uh, math majors math majors are like the most likely su- to succeed in law school and I didn't believe it so I, I googled it and sure enough they were at the top of the list uh, just the way we go through problem solving and, and understanding breaking down problems
0: yeah it's super analytical so that makes sense right because you're having to analyze all these cases and you know, do thinking based on all your cases you're reading and stuff. So, yeah. yeah, for sure. That's a good connection he made there for you.
1: Yeah, right. And so yeah. he was the one that really meant, kind of pushed me through the process. It said, take the LSAT. Um, I, I studied by myself. I took the LSAT. I did all right. Got into law school. And I it really didn't click for me that I wanted or could be a lawyer until I was in the space and then not even not even within that first semester, really took a summer class, a family law summer class where I had a client who was listening to everything in English and he understood some English but just didn't understand the law and the way it was being translated or being told yeah. to him in English. And so I was able to take all of that English law or translation and put it all into Spanish and it made 100% like, sense to him. That completely changed my view on what I was doing and how I could, I could provide help okay
0: awesome tell me about this next track talking about uh translating stuff this is chicano batman Mm -hmm. (laughs) tell me about this song right here
1: oh man well this song is such a jam that i i had a playlist uh for when i was studying for the bar exam and i think there are three songs on this list that are from the the list that i have while i was studying for the bar exam and, well, Chicano Batman was originally introduced to me um, by a good friend named Alex Pedraza. And then Chicano Batman came to OKC. And my suegro said, yo, let's go see Chicano Batman. And I had kind of already told my wife, nah, we probably don't need to go to that. But he bought tickets. <laughs> yeah. He bought tickets. And we, we saw them at the Tower Theater and they put on such a beautiful show um, what they stand for is beautiful like their music the it's like a balada, but then after it's
0: old school yeah it's yeah. so
1: old school um, but then i also i've also had the the opportunity to just experience a whole different music with my wife's family because her her dad listens to a lot of tejano music and yeah. so this kind of, this and then kind of like listening to Conjunto Primavera and it's kind of like almost intertwined to, to me. And yeah. uh, this was just one of those songs that I could put on at any time. And after like two minutes, or two and a half minutes of them singing, they just go off in the background with the drums and the guitar. and You can just drive and, and listen to the beat and... One of the things with me in music is I've always listened, been a beat, a beat person first, listening to the rhythms. Um, okay, so you're
0: not really paying attention to lyrics when you're listening. You're more about the the tones and the beats and everything like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. When I first listen to the okay. song, you know, and then I get into the words. But I can I can know every beat to a song without knowing any of the words sometimes. <laughs>
0: When you listen to a song, can you hear every instrument independently? Like that happens to me where I'll just hear the bass or I'll hear what the drummer's doing. Does that happen to you? Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. Yeah. I think this stems from like my love for dubstep house music. Okay, cool. You know, you get all of it. And then uh, my uncle actually had a band, uh, Los Chicos Banda. That was probably about 2008 to like 2012 or something. And and so I was, I got to hang out with the band. Uh, I got to practice the saxophone. I played the piano in high school for like three or four years. Um, Then when I got to college, I had a good friend named Paul uh, who would play the drums, was like a badass guitar player. And so I've always just had music around me in that way. And so, yeah, I I pick out the little, right, like here. Yeah, Yeah, that's
0: awesome. I think the thing about Tejano music too, if you think about it, they kind of take all different elements from different types of music because like us, many of the band members grew up listening to both English and Spanish music. So sometimes you'll hear a little bit of jazz element in the drums, or sometimes they'll use a lot of saxophone and a lot of trumpets in the music. So Tejano music kind of gives you like the best of both worlds and it kind of like mixes it all together. So yeah. I, I'm a fan of Tejano music. A lot of people, you know, say that it's dying or whatever, but there's a lot of good musicians in Tejano music, especially in Texas. If if you ever go down to Texas or San Antonio, or something like that, Corpus Christi, you know, there's a lot of good bands, a lot of good music. Yeah,
1: they have the, I think it's the Tejano Music Festival. And yeah. my wife's family and they have gone, I think maybe in the last 10 years, probably eight out of the last 10 years. Um, for the same reason they just love being around the music love the music itself and and the whole vibe around the culture of of this music um
0: so besides chicano batman what are some of your other uh, like in this genre what are some of your other favorite bands
1: yeah so uh, uh cultura prophetica have you have you heard of them uh yeah them and then um i have i always have bob marley on standby because it's also got a little vibe to it um yeah i had a few others i just can't uh do you have have any in mind right now yeah
0: (laughs) no no i I was just kind of curious kind of you know sometimes if you like this type of music yeah you'll branch out different ways so i was just kind of curious what else you listen to but that's pretty cool man and and you said about the your uncle Is, is your uncle jose
1: yeah, my uncle is Jose. No that's way, dude! I played
0: soccer with him. <laughs> he he was our goalie, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. that's my uncle. So shout
0: out to Jose. Yeah, when you said the band, I was I was thinking about that band. The, the name sounds familiar. So yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. That's my uncle. <laughs> um, So he never got you to to try to be in the band too, or, or well, no, I, no pressure there.
1: Yeah, I would I would actually just help. uh I was your equipment you know load and unload and then the roadie yeah and then yeah. once in a while i would uh get be, i would actually get on the dj once in a while and uh okay. he'd be like you know these are the songs you know feel the vibe see what the people are liking see what they don't like and uh there were three or four times where i got to be dj at a at a wedding or a small party something like that uh yeah, so I was, that's cool i was really enjoyed that piece of it as well
0: I think they uh they actually went to like be on television, right? Like Univision or something. Yeah. Right? I remember that a while back. Right? America. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that's pretty cool, man. Shout out to Jose. Yeah, shout out to Jose. <laughs> yeah, cool. So tell me, okay, law school, where did you decide to go?
1: So, I went to OCU Law School and Oklahoma City University Law School, School of Law. It was, um, it wasn't hard to pick a place. One, I really had three choices, uh, the University of Tulsa, the University of Oklahoma, or Oklahoma City University, and I I was over the whole idea of trying to leave home, Um, and so when I was thinking about school, I thought to myself, OCU is perfect, not only is it down the street, but they were moving the law school to the downtown area. Okay. And so the class that I started with was the very first class that started at the downtown location. When I visited the school, um, when I met the dean of students, the, my tour, like the tour to start off uh, was given by a guy named Patrick and like five minutes into our conversation we found out we both loved playing soccer. I ended up, we ended up forming a team, having a team throughout law school and playing. Um, Awesome. So I was able to just bring those two worlds together and and, in a minute, like just in a snap of a finger, you know, and it was like, now here here we are.
0: Can you think about when you walked into that first law school, I bet it was like a culture shock, right? Like just seeing everybody, you're probably like a minority there, right? For sure. Yeah,
1: so my tour, I was the only one there. Um, It was like during the summer, so that was good. But then came orientation. Orientation was about 170 students, 160 white students, and then about 10 of us who were of different backgrounds, and yeah. complete culture shock, absolutely. It was almost like what I had experienced at Dove Science Academy, where I went from like, our people, or like, white, black, Mexican, to, oh my gosh, a ton of um, Turkish people that I, I'm having a hard time understanding their accent. Uh, yeah. And then I got to law school and I was having a hard time understanding the language. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time in a dictionary when once I got to law school. But yeah, I mean, just going into the law school, um, we had our organization fair like the first week of school. And yeah. I'm looking for the Hispanic Law Student Association and I can't find it.
0: Yeah, n- n- none, right? It's like, does not exist. <laughs> it,
1: it existed in, the, in in some type of bunker because uh, there just weren't many people who were involved or cared to be involved or were of descent. And so yeah. there were about three or four people who were running the group. And then after, after I took command, uh, we kind of got to like five or 10. And then eventually now, I think there are a group of about 20. Um, okay. And so OCU has done just a beautiful job at recruiting more diverse candidates, um, creating diversity within the school with, with its staff um, and being more inclusive of all of our people. So I love, I love to see what they're doing with that. Okay.
0: Was that intimidating, intimidating at all when you walked in and you, and you didn't see like, you know, people that kind of looked like us or were you just like. You know, it's cool. No big deal. Yeah, no. <laughs> What'd you think?
1: I was uh, I was a bit freaked out. You know, uh, it was uh, as as my wife or as the terminology is used, imposter syndrome. I thought to myself mm-hmm. like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be here. And uh, I'll, I'll mention this because it was funny. I walked up to a guy who had dark hair, had a dark mustache, and I said, "Hey, you know what's going on?" and uh try to find out if he was a paisa or not and yeah (laughs) he's like ah no and and turned out he's total white dude and i'm like oh my bad i'm gonna walk away uh yeah i had a few of those occasions where i was like where am i gonna fit in with this group um i ended up my my the main guys i hung out with ended up being alex chad and brad um pretty basic white dudes uh but but they know it they're my friends uh, but yeah. we were the ones who were like just kind of fell together and we were like all right i can I can get along with these people um but it it kind of okay. took me trying to look or I had to stop really looking for a group to find the group uh, yeah
0: i I wish man, I wish growing up, you know a lot of my friends would have gone on to college too, and then you know we definitely need more Hispanics to pursue college and you know and and think outside the box, you know just because a door may close or something like that, like keep going, you know, yeah. just, you know, usually our parents give up a, a huge amount to, to give us a better future. So definitely, you know, go, go and do that hundred percent, you know, effort, 110% effort to, to, to do better, you know? So I wish that, you know, it would have been cool to have some friends in college and, you know, yeah. <laughs> and kind of go through that experience together. That, that would have been really cool. But,
1: well, you know, my undergrad time was a complete different thing. Right, because when I, started, when I started undergrad, I started with, uh, with Ricardo, who was my best friend from high school. He went to Mid-America. Um, I had met uh, another friend named TJ, and so he went to Mid-America. Irvin, who played soccer and always had known my whole life, he went to Mid-America. And just a ton of different people that I had known before I went to Mid-America okay
0: so you got to experience that. i got i did yeah. get
1: to experience yeah. that okay. that was that was cool. fun but then the law school part was like no one's here i don't know anyone here um yeah and for the longest time my you know for the three and a half years that i was in law school i always heard where you been man where you've been? Uh, been i've been in law school
0: <laughs> man tell me about this next song right here we're gonna go into tupac uh yeah. Dear mama so, I have a feeling I, I kind of know what it's about, but you tell yeah,
1: me. Yeah, Dear Mama, right? Um, I, part of this song is my upbringing. Um, like I mentioned, I had a cousin who lived a couple houses down from me named Joshua. And he was four years older than me. And so with him, I grew up listening to SPM. I grew up listening to Tupac, Bone thugs and harmony uh, Capone with the E, uh, you know, little all the old school, little Rob, uh, yeah. And so I, I was exposed to that through him. And when you listen to the song at a young age, you're like, eh, it's a good song. But now you listen to it now, and you it hits oh, different. Oh man, yeah. it hits so different. And <laughs> yeah. It hits so different. I shared the list. I shared this list with my wife briefly earlier, and she was like. So is this about your mom I'm like well yeah of course it's about my mom but yeah, you know, yeah.
0: but it, it talks about all the the different stuff where he was trying to like you know get into trouble because he didn't know or he was just trying to be like the other guys and stuff like that so that definitely is like something you experience especially growing up where we did right where you have all kinds of people and you know they're into gangs or they're into whatever and like you could easily go one way or the other right so this song definitely talks about that too
1: yeah yeah and 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 i think it, a little deeper we're stuck in an in between right now where like you're like yes like just like you mentioned yes i want to do this but then i also have this in the back of my head and so you find yourself always kind of battling yourself and and even now every day you know you're like Dear Mama, you know I still love you. Even if you don't see me, you don't hear from me every day. If I'm not living with you, uh, things like that, and and there's just so many things that we do that that we do in in light of what our parents have have created for us or like prepared for us. And so, yeah, as I mentioned, you know one of the things uh, that's that's kind of um, one of my struggles has been that i didn't find out when i didn't find out about my biological dad or i didn't find out that my stepdad was not my biological dad until about the age of 14. Oh, wow. yeah and so then i kind of whenever i learned about that it kind of took kind of took me back to like thinking of what my life could have been had my stepdad not stepped in to support my mom and myself and yeah
0: do you mind diving into that like are you cool with sharing like what that was like experiencing that and finding out you know such a big thing like that especially when you're older yeah
1: yeah absolutely so you know whenever they first came out and uh, shared that with us it was uh, a moment where they wanted to officially get married and so they wanted our approval before they officially got married and Mm -hmm. you know for me it was a, it was a, it was just completely, everything's a lie to me in the world now.
0: Yeah, bad. It's like, what the heck? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine, man. Yeah,
1: everything, I was like, I thought to myself, you know, my mom lied to me for 14 years. Why is anything else honest or true? Um, my parents have lied to me. Like, you're not my dad. There was a, a moment where, like, I was just do whatever the I wanted and then I just throw that at him it doesn't matter you're not my dad or like yeah but deep down knowing that this is my dad right and so that was one of those moments where I tried to just kind of just piece everything together Um, we went to some family therapy and and that helped a little just to kind of talk about you know what was going on and 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 this song is so you know it kind of goes to it because because she wanted to wait to, to protect me and then also be able to share with me and me being a part of it, rather than them just getting married and me never finding out or not even thinking about what that meant. Um, but then- Yeah, what's the line in the
0: song? Uh, you know, a woman trying to raise a man. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Exactly. Um, and so then, yeah, they- The Jews- Go ahead.
0: Did you meet, uh, did you ever meet your, like your father or anything or? or I have not.
1: No? I have not. Okay. Um, that is, uh, that's something that's still kind of up in the air. Uh, I actually spoke to a good friend from high school yesterday or this a couple of days ago, and he had a somewhat of a similar, similar deal where his dad had left his uh, mom at an early age. And then he reconnected with him down the road and, um, they were just able to have a connection and, you know, he kind of gave me this, this piece of advice. And, uh, I think, I think I need to hold it dear to my heart, but he said, um, don't expect too much, you know, whether it was my mom's doing, his doing, our doing, whatever it may have been. Um, he said, just if you do plan on meeting him, don't go in with high expectations because it's just like meeting a stranger. You just never know.
0: Yeah. That's great advice.
1: Yeah. So it's still, it's still kind of in the back of my head, you know, to maybe one day, um, reach out approach. Um, but I'm on the, uh, on the other end, you know, I'm like, well, he's had 28 years to come find me or approach me or something. Um, but I've seen pictures. Uh, I know what he looks like. And that's, that's as far as that's gone.
0: Okay. All right. So tell me a little bit about, uh, kind of what you're doing now and, and you know, we kind of glossed over with the whole Oklahoma's first undocumented lawyer. Tell me about what that means and kind of the the feedback that you get with that title, right? Because you're putting yourself out there. You could easily, you know, hold that tightly to your chest and not share that with anybody, but you're putting it out there. And I can imagine, especially in today's current, you know, political environment, it's super hard, right? Like yeah. diversity and you know, legal status, all that stuff is like very political at the moment. Tell me you know why you decided to put that out there and then kind of you know what kind of response you've gotten from that
1: yeah so the initial response uh i'll tell you the bad first uh ocu once i had graduated and shared the story um ocu reposted it on their page and it was all positive and then there were those those comments right how how can he be here legally and and represent people in the legal system everything that he does is going to be wrong because he's illegal and he doesn't know how to apply the law um, yeah that was that was the backlash I received and then there was a there was a magazine who'd put out an article on the same deal because there are now about eight states who have undocumented attorneys I was actually inspired by Cesar Vargas who fought in New York for three years to be admitted into the bar as an undocumented person. And I mean, his battle, his battle was for three years. I didn't even have to fight to get in. They just let me in. Um, yeah. So I was fortunate to have that here, but like I said, a lot of positive, of course, my family's positive, friends, positive. And then there were those naysayers who I had no idea who they were. Aside from that, the community, now that I'm around, they're very accepting of it. Um, they understand that. And I'm fortunate that in Oklahoma, I haven't received more backlash, right? as you mentioned. But yeah, I think that people are starting to understand that we do the same things that any other person has done. I had to go to school. I had to prove that I was a person of good moral character. I had to go through the character and fitness. They did background checks on me. I had to take the same test. I had to pass law school, all of that. Yeah, if
0: anything, you worked harder to get the same thing that somebody else would, right? So uh, I think that's huge. And I commend you for for putting yourself out there because it also serves as a role model, right? Like imagine if there's a little kid out there right now and then he sees you, you know, he has aspirations to be a lawyer or to be an astronaut or to be whatever, you know, he's going to know like, you know, the sky's the limit, right? Like this shouldn't stop me. So is that kind of why you did it too, to sort of like, you know, give sort of a role model for kids or or not? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, you know, part of what I've been doing recently is also attending a few high schools and, or some of the colleges that have invited me to speak. I have a speaking engagement coming up Wednesday at USAO. I just did one at UCO. Uh, I visited Putnam City, Original, Capitol Hill, um, I was part of the elementary school's PAL League as well. But going through that and then being able to share with them as an undocumented person that we can to reach these levels of, or these places of power, essentially, and do more for our uh, future generations is really what I wanted to get to. And I've received so many questions from kid students who say, I didn't know we could do that i didn't know we could do that how do we do that and
0: that's awesome
1: i that's what that's really what i i really hope to you know inspire make people ask these questions more than anything how why what did you do like ask those questions so that they can be answered right if, if they're okay. not answered by me someone else will answer them for them but they'll yeah. have someone around. okay
0: yeah. that's awesome cool all right let's get into this next track right here tell me about this next track
1: oh yeah it's ooh ah uh, (laughs) my life what's up with this track right here so this was one of those tracks that was always playing in our gym during high school and it was like our anthem you know we we were on the way to a game we were listening to it we were getting ready to get a pump in in the gym and we were listening to it and for a while actually our middle school slash high school didn't have a gym a gymnasium in it and so whenever we finally got a gymnasium and to be able to listen to music on the loudspeakers and and work out and do whatever we were doing it was it was like beautiful like yo we have a gym uh you know we don't have to do this outside or we got an ac and we got live music going whatever um, but we lifted so much weight for this music like this song specifically and, and a bunch of other you know workout songs but this was always yeah. the one that was like ooh, uh, you know <laughs> so it pumps you yeah, up yeah huh? yeah it pumps me up. yeah and, and one of the things you
0: play this like before a case or anything <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah once in a while uh the feeling good is the usually the my go-to uh, okay but this song was just one of those where I guess it's like a, a mini introduction to what like house music sounds like to me um, and I didn't realize you know that about this song until I started listening to house, house music dubstep but this song and a few others that our coach played, our, my, my coach in high school had such a like uh, a positive impact in my life as well because he wouldn't just teach us soccer and then say alright go, go about your way. He would invite us to his house to help him work on his on his uh, cars because he the he did a like off road uh, race car race car tracks. Okay. Um, he would invite us out to the park to play disc golf. Um, you know, be like, here's here's a disc. This is how you play. It's free. It's easy. And we'd go spend three hours at the park playing disc golf. Um, and so he got us into a lot of different things aside from just working out or soccer and yeah he was a semi-pro he was a semi-pro soccer player in germany and uh from from the time i met him up until maybe like five years after i graduated uh i had met his wife but he'd always uh you know I'm, we're not gonna have any kids right now i'm not gonna have any kids and so a lot of those things I kind of took from him. Like I'm not gonna have any kids, but I, I'm also wanting to be 40 years old and still working out, lifting more than anyone around me, kind of thing. So I don't do I don't yeah. do that anymore right now. <laughs> um, but he was always an inspiration for me to like to work out, to stay fit, to do right more than anything, um, and, and learn different things because he, I mean, he w- he was our CrossFit before CrossFit existed
0: yeah that's cool it's crazy how some people just become like mentors to you and you look back and probably at the time you didn't even realize how much influence he was having on you but like you said him inviting you like he didn't have to invite you back home and stuff like that or to play frisbee or whatever right like he's going out of his way to do that right so that's that's huge i I wish more people did that you know go out of your way to to be there for kids right yeah
1: absolutely i think i was very fortunate in Everyone that was at Dove was fortunate because part of the culture that the the staff built was visiting homes. So they would, uh, you know, beginning of the week, hey, what's a good time to visit your house this week? Uh, oh, this day, whatever. And they come by and they just sit with our parents and talk to see what, how things are going on at home. Or they would invite us back to their to their house for dinner um, and then take us home if that's what it took, you know. But inviting us into their home, uh, making us feel comfortable as people and not just students. Uh, I think that, that was, that was major. That was major.
0: Okay, cool. Is that kind of why you do the, the soccer stuff now? Because you kind of want to, you know, spend some time there kind of helping the community too, or tell me a little bit about the soccer stuff and how that came about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So football factory is definitely for the community. Uh, if you look at the soccer landscape in Oklahoma, it's always it's always been expensive to play. But it's also been that clubs are completely divided. So you find one club on the north side, another one on the south side, far south, in Midwest City, and Yukon. But there isn't a lot of connection between soccer and then with the pro soccer that we have now, uh, not every team connects with the pro team. So part of our Mm -hmm. idea with football factory was let's make this soccer culture blow up and let's have everybody love and be like excited about soccer. Like the opening of a soccer game should be like the opening of a basketball Thunder game or the stadium should be packed. Like if you were watching an NFL game, right. And that's what we wanted to bring to Oklahoma, um, bring more, more soccer, accessible soccer, um, and really, just help build that culture here.
0: Okay, because you even did something uh, downtown, right? Didn't you do something downtown with the, the court that's down there too, right?
1: Yeah, so we were actually uh, able to rent out the space, and we ho- we hosted the footy festival with uh, another another, another uh, few people of our like our partners, uh, Dunn and Hernandez, our law firm, uh, Skinny Slims, OKC. Shout out to them, uh, Rogers Concepts, who runs Pink Parrot. Um, and, and Bloom, and uh, MB10, who's a, also a private soccer trainer. And so we were able to just bring together a bunch of sponsors and a bunch of our people and host a big tournament down there. It was the first time you'd seen a huge soccer tournament in the in the middle of downtown. Uh, yeah,
0: it looked awesome. I, I seen some of the video footage for that. It looked like a lot of fun. It, it looks like you had a, a pretty good turnout for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a beautiful experience, and we're looking forward to, to some more of that uh, post-COVID. And and you know people are playing sports and whatnot right now, but uh, it's it's a bit of a liability on us as a company to host something like that, and either have someone get hurt or anything like that, or everyone gets COVID and. They all got it at, at, at downtown where we had a tournament. Yeah.
0: Um, That's not the, the kind of publicity yeah, you want. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> uh,
1: but aside from that, we also, uh, the last three years, hosted free soccer training at 6 a.m. from 6 a.m. to about 7.30 in the morning. And when we started, we started with like six of our friends. And then we invited some of the students that we were coaching at the elementary schools. And so eventually we got to about twenty. And then, um, my, our friend Jose was coaching some kids at the indoor soccer arena and then he invited them and eventually we were at 40 and then we were at 50. And then the second year when we started day one, we had a hundred kids show up. It was crazy, but it was awesome.
0: And you're involved with all the events or, uh, are you kind of more behind the scenes or or are you there present for, for all the events and stuff? I do
1: my best to be present at everything. Um, I, I'm somewhat of a perfectionist, and so I'm always trying to make sure that things are going working smoothly and making sure that people are in the right place, that we have enough people to do this and do that. Uh, but I learned a huge, huge lesson during these uh, seven, eight, or six a.m. free soccer trainings. At a couple of them, uh, it was just two of us organizing, or it may have just been me because it's just something came up, and the other two guys couldn't be there. And the power of community Jeez, uh to see the 10 year old watch me do the drill and then go teach the other 10 year olds how to do the drill or you know awesome. it was it was just <laughs> beautiful to see these kids come out of their shells like that and say oh i can lead he's leading a 100 of us i can lead five of us okay
0: that's very cool tell me about uh benny bonassi Oh about this one. Anyway.
1: Oh my god <laughs> for anyone for anyone who is listening to this song and who grew up with me from 2010 to 2015 they know this is the jam like <laughs> this, this was your,
0: your go-to song at that time
1: this was this was that song that i mean it was not only this song but skrillex Skrillex as a whole, so Skrillex is part of, of this Benny Benassi song, but when I first heard this song and then when I got into house and dubstep music, my world changed, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because when I I went to a Skrillex concert for the very first time, it was at camp, um, okay. so think about that small venue and then just the type of music that like plays and how loud that may have been. Um, and then
0: I and everybody jumping around in the yeah. crowd, right? <laughs> Especially when you hear that drop, when you right? You hear the drop, yeah. <laughs> so
1: I actually saw Skrillex like uh, live at the zoo amphitheater, I saw him at Bonnaroo and he may have been at the Diamond Bar Room. But there's a drop, yeah. That drop, yeah. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this song was just a song that like it was like my good friend TJ is sitting by my side and we look at each other and we'd be like, you're a cinema, bro. Like, you know, <laughs> like you are a cinema. Like, I want to watch you grow up. I want to watch you do these things. I want to watch you shine. I, all those things, like when you think of a cinema and like what a cinema is and how this song yeah. kind of embodies that, like just like that backdrop, like you are, yeah, we're here. It's loud, you know? Um, yeah. re- I just love this song for that reason. Like, we are cinemas, you know? Awesome.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think this is uh, also kind of cool because it, it's probably like outside of the box, right? Like a lot of people probably wouldn't expect that you were into dubstep. Like here's this lawyer, right? And he listens to dubstep. Yeah, <laughs> What was your first introduction to that? Like, how'd you get into the music? Just because it was popular at the time or how'd you get into so, it? So I
1: have a good friend, Ebenezer, Ebenezer Yosef. Uh, I met him at Mid America and uh he comes up to me and my friend ricardo one day and goes you know i think you guys would really like this new place called camps they do robotic wednesdays that was my first introduction to the house the house in and dubstep okay and then you were I hooked. Was hooked yeah i mean <laughs> you would find me there every wednesday and yeah and i went to these to these concerts like when we went out to bonnaroo squirrelax was one of the main uh People we were there to see. Mac Miller was actually also there at that time. We got to see Ludacris, big gigantic. Um, I actually even got to see uh, Radiohead live. Uh, so that awesome. was that was all its own experience. Bon was it's, its own experience. But yeah, this music. Uh, I actually used to study listening to dubstep and house music.
0: How does that work most people are, want it quiet yeah, yeah. and want maybe classical music yeah. <laughs> and you're you're listening to dubstep while you're trying to read a, a case <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah well this was my uh my undergrad study music this is okay. yeah, so I, I was doing my math problems filling out a full page with one formula you know i'm listening to this and just like, headbanging <laughs> head banging and yeah. writing and figuring out problems and and it was one of those uh, to keep you up you know keep you moving um we, we listened to we had house and dubstep on our playlist before our games and so it was always just nice to kind of introduce our teammates into that music as well um yeah
0: tell me something that most people wouldn't know about you
1: uh oh gosh i already shared one with my biological dad uh, that's true yeah <laughs> um and then maybe like
0: a a hobby or something like that or a strange thing that you like to eat or a strange habit or something like that
1: um i'll take you back to when i was younger uh something that i used to do um i used to just pour ketchup on a like on a plate and then just eat the ketchup like just, just ketchup, ketchup. Yeah. Man. just ketchup so, have you
0: tried that recently uh, or no uh, no
1: but I do still eat a lot of ketchup with my fries so now, okay. now it's not just the ketchup but I, I still do love, yeah. uh, love me some good ketchup
0: that's awesome especially one uh, uh, of
1: your spicy ketchup
0: yeah that one yeah. definitely for sure but I'm going to have to have the fries I don't know about just a plate with just ketchup yeah <laughs> Tell me about uh, influences. Like who, who would you say were some of your biggest influences?
1: Yeah, so um, my Tio Fernando. My Tio Fernando, um, he is the one who I worked with from the time I was 14 to about 18. And we spent a lot of time together while we were driving to pick up pallets, driving to pick up um, recycled cardboard. And he always was like, You know, just always giving me these little pointers in life as, you know, I'm 14, 16 years old. And and he understood that I was undocumented. He knew, you know, our whole life history and my family's history. And so he'd always just, you know, we're all here for good kind of deal. But then he would kind of go through our family history and explain that to me, talk to me about that and why he was the way he was and, and yeah. the way what like dri- drives him to be such an entrepreneur and so I spent so
0: do you remember any of those lessons that he shared with you do you remember anything yeah that, that kind of stuck with yeah,
1: you. yeah so one of the things that we talked a lot about was um, we have a we have a few a few uh, family members who have been divorced or who were separated early on um, and then so part of that was like you know when you find a relationship that you really want to be in uh make sure that that you're reciprocating right um because okay. we know we all know that a relationship isn't a one-way street um and that there's got to be some some give and some take and so he's been with his with my tia now he's he's one of the older ones so i think they've been together for about 12 30 something years right Awesome. Um, and they got together when they were super young and they left my grandfather's house and they went out and made their own life. And they have one, two, three, they had like five kids and then they, their are five kids and now have grandkids. And so, or they have kids and so they're grandkids. And so he was, uh, he was one of the first abuelitos aside from our grandparents. Uh, so, okay. So I got to <laughs> learn, learn, awesome. learn from him and, and really take that in. And, I, I say him mainly because I didn't spend a lot of time with my grandparents growing up and, or even, um, and later in their, in their later years before they passed away. But he was like my grandpa just being the older uncle. Okay.
0: So you would say, uh, he's probably your, your biggest influence or you think you have other people that were influential as well?
1: Uh, I definitely say he's one of the biggest, bigger, biggest, bigger influences in my life. Um, and then, oh, um, I always had I always had a teacher, uh, Miss Lay, who would say, I was, I mean, I was only 16, 17, and she would always say, I want my son to be like you whenever he grows up. And so awesome. that was like an influence on my life that I didn't know really, you know, like this lady who knows me for a couple years wants her son to be like me, and I'm like really, and so that you know that that pushed me to be better as well. Um, yeah. But I'm just I was just so fortunate to have so many good teachers at Dove that like some way or another they all influenced me definitely because there were so many different different pieces of them coming to me to influence me. Yeah.
0: That's definitely a, a beautiful yeah. thing. You see what yeah. I did there? <laughs> Tell me about this song right oh, here. Oh, <laughs> man.
1: This song... Um, I was actually talking to my wife about this song. Uh, the one thing, one thing that I really love about this song is the beginning, really the different tempos that it takes. Um, you'll hear it. It starts off pretty slow. It picks up, and then it kind of smoothens out, and then gets going again. Um, But this is one of those songs that I didn't hear until I got to Mid-America. We were required to go to chapel Wednesdays and Fridays from, if I'm not mistaken, from 10 to 11. We could only miss so many chapels uh, before we would technically fail the semester. And this was always just one of those songs that it doesn't talk about God. Mm -hmm. outright but when you say you make beautiful things we know what the song means and this was one of those songs um not only was it uplifting but it was also a grounding and to there were so many times in college undergrad where it was just like should we keep going what do i need to change there was a part of my life where I like, just kind of put my family aside and I didn't talk to them for like two or three months. I was just at school, focused on school, working. Wouldn't call my mom, my sister, my brother, my dad, no one. And this was mm-hmm. one of those songs that's just always like, brought me down and also kept me up. Um, okay. And it's just a beautiful song. I-, I also think the way... And I've heard it played so many different ways as well um but the words of it is just always like we are beautiful things we're cinemas and we're beautiful
0: (laughs) (laughs) i like that i'm gonna have to start using that bro you're a cinema and you're a beautiful thing (laughs)
1: yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) tell me uh so if if there's a kid out there right and he's listening to us right now what kind of advice would you give him or her You know to pursue their dreams to not stop with you know here we talked about all these challenges you know you growing up you know all these you know sort of hiccups and you know decision points that you could have went you know a different road you know tell us you know what kind of advice would you give him or her
1: yeah i think uh maybe number one is and and if i say number one but i i hope that If it's not your parents that you have someone uh, that is a parent figure to you or guardian or a brother, but listen to those that are just a bit wiser than you, who have lived more life than you. Um, Because whenever times are hard that maybe we don't understand something or that we're just not connecting or we feel out of place, someone who's been here just a little bit longer wiser, older, will always be able to give us some type of insight, and one of the things that I struggle with is asking for help, not very good at it, Um, but I think it kind of goes back to this, because being around my uncle, I felt like I already had, I've already got all the help that I needed to continue going, Mm -hmm. where I know sometimes we find ourselves in places where we can't move, we can't, we don't feel like we can do much more, Um, We're overwhelmed, but talk to that older person, that elder person, um, you know, ask the questions that are like there, that are just, get it out, you know, um, get it out.
0: One of the things I want to do is uh, when this whole virus thing's over, I want to go to a retirement home and I want to speak to the people there and I want to ask them, what's your biggest regret? Because I guarantee you it's not going to be money. It's not going to be, you know, the car I didn't buy. It's not going to be any of that, right? They've lived a life and, and they can truly tell you what's important in life.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah I, I absolutely agree with that. And I, if, if I need to give another piece of advice, um, I would say involve your family in what you're doing. Um, one, of the, one of the things I mentioned recently was that I didn't include my family in my law school process or my undergrad process. It was like, this is me and I'm doing it and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to do it. And if you want, I was more like, if, if you want to be a part of it, you're going to step in. But I also Mm -hmm. didn't understand that maybe they didn't want to intrude or slow me down, or they may have felt like they were slowing me down if they tried to get involved. Um, Why
0: do you think you did that? You just.
1: I think being first gen is part of it. Um, Understanding that my parents didn't know how to navigate college that my sister is younger than me, didn't go to college. My brother, um, also just being younger than me and wasn't even at the age yet. Um, mm-hmm. it was more, it, I think it was more of that, like, and, and it's bad by me to think they weren't going to understand. Yeah. Right? Or do you
0: think that maybe you were kind of wanting to protect them in case, you know, things didn't work out, you didn't get their hopes up. You think it was maybe some of that, or was there ever a doubt that, you know, you're not going to go through with it?
1: Um, it's a bit cocky to say, but I knew I had to finish it. Uh, maybe not that I was going to complete it, but I knew I couldn't stop once I, once I started going. Um, and there was a time like that 2014 to 2015 time when I wasn't going, when I wasn't planning on going to law school, um, where I was just working, doing soccer, um, it kind of felt like, oh, this is it. Um, so I did have some of that kind of urge there, like, right, I, I can't stop here um but it i think it may could could have been a little bit of that you know protecting them and 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 saying maybe this isn't i i i think in deep down in myself i thought if i can't do it then it's going to be really hard for any of us to do it and so i wanted to do it and maybe figure out how to do it um but unfortunately now that i've left them all out of it now i can't go back and do it again and bring them back into it right
0: right okay So you would say those were probably your two biggest pieces of advice or do you have one more?
1: Yeah. I mean, really, you know, um, get it out, talk, um, ask those questions that need to be asked, um, involve your family in what you're doing. And, and I guess number three is uh, when they tell, you no, find another way. I like that.
0: Cool. All right. Tell me about Kid Cudi.
1: Oh man. Kid Cudi. (laughs) Uh, This guy, I don't know. He's, it's totally I,
0: underrated i think a lot of people underrate this guy for sure
1: last year i received my spotify um like what is it like your 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 year, top tracks of your your look back or whatever the synopsis yeah yeah i was in like the top one percent of listeners for kid cuddy like <laughs> that's how much i listen to him Awesome. Um, but kid cuddy from day one day and night, um you know to to his newest stuff and I, I read an article the other day about how humming in his music helps others connect and I think that was one of the things that always just tied me to Kid Cudi is being able to hum without having to sing but then also feeling the beat okay and this this song specifically it's like yeah it's all by design right where we talked, uh, we talked a lot in uh, in my Bible classes about free will or not having that free will. Uh, do we have it or do we not? And my thought was always, we have some free will. There are, like, my thought is, yeah, things are all by design, but we still have a choice to make. Yeah, in, for sure. In this design. Um, so this song, I listened to this song, Whew. I don't know how many times I couldn't even tell you, uh, so much that my wife got annoyed by it, and then she also knows the words to it, even though she doesn't listen to Kid Cuddy.
0: That's awesome. So, do you go to this track when you're feeling down, or, or when when were you listening to this track? Like, where were you where were you at in your life?
1: Yeah. So this was uh, this was my second year of law school when I started listening to this song, and that's okay. about the time it came out, and. I listened to it all from the time it came out up until really I finished the bar exam. This is one of those that was on my list for the bar exam because every day waking up to study for the bar exam, I had to tell myself, you're going to pass this test. This is this is just another test. Yeah,
0: for the listeners, tell us a little bit about that process because it's like, what, like 200 questions or something? Like there's a lot of questions, Yeah. Right?
1: So the study course for the bar exam is a 10-week program prepared by a couple of uh, third-party agencies. There's Barbary, and then there's Kaplan, and they create this study program for you that's supposed to last about 10 weeks. Uh, The way I did it, for my 10 weeks, the first two weeks, I was studying six to eight hours a day. Um, From week three to about week seven, it was somewhere between eight to 12 hours a day, and then week 8, nine, 10, that was like 12 to 15 hours more studying. Uh, yeah, that's a
0: full-time job.
1: <laughs> it was a full-time job, yeah. I Were quit. you also
0: working at the time?
1: So I only worked those first two weeks when I was doing the 6 to 8, 8 to 6 hours. And then okay. I stopped working the last eight weeks and I just focused on the test. Um, but, you know, when I think about this song and I think about law school and even now, like the the path was there and the design was there right but Mm -hmm. I just I just had to take the right steps to get through it Um, and and well now here we are right now here we are Um, so I celebrate I celebrate a lot of my days with Kid Cudi um, with some dubstep and sometimes I start my morning off with uh, with the Maverick podcast there you go. Shout out! <laughs> shout out! Maverick Podcast. Shout out! Maverick Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <Shout> out. <laughs>
0: so tell me, once you took the the, the bar, did you have doubt? Because it, or it mm. takes a while to get your results back, right?
1: Right. So I took the the exam uh, late February, and we found out our results uh, mid April. So. Okay. I mean, after day one, there was some doubt because it's, <laughs> it's actually a two-day test. Uh, as you mentioned, it's 200 multiple choice questions, and it was 16 mm-hmm. essays. They recently just redid the format, and I'm not too sure what that looks like now. But you still need to be well-spoken in about 16 topics. Okay. Uh, si- 16 topics of law. So from like property to torts to criminal law, con law. Uh, wills, trust and estates. We also have an ethics portion that we have to be up to date with.
0: Um, Are you able to uh, give us an example of like one of those essay questions?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I can actually. Um, so one of the questions that we had for constitutional law was about the, I believe it's over by uh, Lake Arcadia, the big cross, there's a huge cross off the side yeah. of the highway. Yep. Well, one of, the, one of the questions was kind of directed at that, and it was about who who was responsible for the cross and whether that was the state talking in a religious matter, because the park where the cross was, was maintained by the city. Okay. Well, we talk about the separation of um, the, rel- state the state and religion, state and religion, right? Well, I believe it's the lemon test and you have to look at, you know, is this state run or is this um, privately run? And so just we had to balance a few factors and the facts that they gave us to determine, you know, make make an argument for it being city run and then make an argument for it being privately run.
0: Oh, so you kind of have to like argue against both sides, right? Because you could potentially be representing one side or the other right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so not every question was like that, but specifically that one that I remember, um, it was give us both sides of the argument. Okay.
0: Do you remember when you found out that you did pass it? What was that moment? Oh like? God. How'd you find out?
1: <laughs> um, I was actually the first one to know that I had passed the bar exam and the scores or like the official, uh, report wasn't out yet.
0: Oh yeah? How'd that happen?
1: So one of our good friends is um is on the board of bar examiners and he calls me. I'm on my way to Santa Fe South uh high school. They were doing an inauguration of their new futsal court. And before I left to the futsal court, I spoke with Lambert, my partner, and he goes, Man, you know, if you really want, don't want to be out there if you failed, because you don't know how you're (laughs) going to react. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, if I failed, then I'll just kind of keep it to myself. But if Mm. I pass, then I can celebrate with everyone that's there, because that's a big community that's already there. Like, this was for the community. It wasn't just for me or my family, but this was for all of us.
0: For sure. I mean, it's like a perfect example. Hey, if this guy did it, why can't I, right? Like, yeah. look look at this guy. It's a celebration for everybody, I agree right. with
1: that. Yeah, it was a big celebration. So I, I arrived to Santa Fe South. Uh, my friend Ricardo had just pulled up next to me and and I'm on the phone as he gets out of his car and he pulls out his GoPro and he starts recording because he knew, he just knew that something oh, was so happening. Oh, so you have video of it? I have a, I have a yeah. short clip of it, yeah. Man, <laughs> and, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome and so he puts his gopro down on the hood of my car and i'm just like on the phone and i'm like oh i can't believe it there's no way there's no way and i just hold i just hold on to my head close my eyes and and take a moment to just be thankful and and like reflect was there
0: dubstep on. involved did you crank up the at <laughs> <on? laughs>
1: oh man i wish uh, that that was for later after after i was in uh, in private in my own private awesome space. <laughs> so then
0: did you like did you tell everybody there that was there all the students or did they find out or anything
1: so i actually had a few of my classmates there um and a few other people who had been talking about uh or talking to about um taking the bar exam and so i was able to share that with a few a few of the people there um some of the teachers that were there and then i was eventually invited back to santa fe south to talk to some of the students as well um, okay so yeah, know I, I got to, I got to tell some of some some close people before everybody else found out, and and then the list comes out, and you know it was official that everybody was like, oh, congratulations, congratulations, and I'm just kind of sitting back, I'm like, that was that was the craziest thing I've ever done. Yeah, that's
0: got to be a huge feeling. I mean, here you are, the guy that says prefiero el fútbol.
1: Yeah. And then prefiero all of a sudden. <laughs>
0: Tell me about this one, man. I cracked up when I saw this on your list. Yeah, I don't.
1: I don't know how many people really know this song. But you know
0: what's funny? I didn't have this song in my DJ laptop, so I had to go out to Amazon to download it. Yeah, they they don't have it. Like they have one CD that's listed that you can buy. And it's like 900 bucks for a used CD of this. Wow. <laughs> so I had to do some digging around because I didn't have the track. But I actually found it. But just it sounds like it's pretty rare. So if you have the CD, it might be worth some money. Yeah, I
1: wish. <laughs> I wish, man. My, I had this CD. And uh, I think uh, it was the second time that our house got broken into that they took all of our CDs. They took all of our CDs, all of our movies, all of our tapes, VHS, all of it. They cleaned Jeez. us out. <laughs> um, and I live right there next to the creek, so people would pull up, take off running through the creek, end up somewhere else, and we'd never find them. Uh, but this song, uh, El Morro, like, I just, I don't know how many people know about him, but when I first heard this song, and he had some other songs in his album where it was like, he was singing a love song, and but he's he's a, a kid, air quotes he's a kid singing these songs right
0: yeah it's like a parody right like yeah. they, they pitch the guy's voice up and then make it sound like he's a little kid right
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so this song is just i don't want to go to school i'd rather play soccer and you know and then then he talks about how his mom's like Uh, your your eyes are full of eye boogers. I know you didn't take a shower. Like, (laughs) it it really takes me back to my childhood and, like, thinking back to those days where my mom would say, stop playing soccer. You're going to get hurt. It's not good for you. Um, You stay up too late. Your body's going to ache. My body does ache. But she just always, you know, stop playing, do this, do that, do that. But for me, it was always, no, I have to play. I want to play. I need to play. And... You know eventually fortunately it got me a scholarship to go to to go to college um and i got me a math what did you say after that did you say keep up
0: keep up good work with the soccer said, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome now i think it teaches way more too right because it teaches you about discipline it teaches you about teamwork it teaches you a lot of stuff probably more importantly the stuff that you learn off the field i think right yeah. so I always think it playing any kind of sport is a good thing. You agree with that?
1: Yeah, 100%. I thought uh, my wife played tennis and so she thinks she played singles, doubles and I think about what a team of 11 or a team of 18 people can do because that's how usually how much you have on a team. And just the power in that and like being surrounded by good people who have the same goal in mind right because once you step on the field the number one goal is to win um yeah. at all what, at whatever it takes um but the the goal is to win you defend together you fight together you you argue with each other but you're doing it in in a way to up to up you know uplift someone um i was always um, my dean or dean jones always uh, referred to me as a silent leader um so even if I wasn't at the front of all of anything or something that I was still there to help push forward. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, I take, I take a lot of this and, and give thanks to, to the beautiful game because there you go. without what it position, did you play? I actually, uh, growing up, uh, I kind of played a stopper. So I would just be running up and down the field cause I was, I was fit. So I'd be able to just do whatever I wanted to on the field. Once I started getting into more organized, um, I would play a center, a center mid, or a center defensive, um, center defensive role. And then when I got to college, they moved me into the right back position. Okay. And so, uh, in high school, I actually played forward one of my years and I, I can't remember how many goals I scored that year, but I had a lot of goals that first year. And then, uh, it was like my sophomore year, I played forward. My junior year, I played midfield. And then my senior year, I had to play defense. Yeah,
0: midfield is like 90 minutes of running. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're never, you know, defense, you, you can kind of hang back, you know, a little bit. But midfield, man, especially if you're on, you know, center or wing, like you're running the entire day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I, actually, I actually played goalie for a little while as well, and I enjoyed that. I just always enjoyed jumping around and having fun and, like, making those crazy-looking saves, you know. Uh, I'm an America fan, and so, like, okay. I got to watch uh, Memo Choa and all that, Pavel Pardo, those were, like, the the main guys I was watching at the time, Cuauhtémoc Blanco, of course. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I played just about every position, uh, never really mastered my left foot, which if uh, if I was young and I was a soccer player, I'd focus more on my left foot so that, um i I, i'd be even more dangerous as a player and more comfortable on the field Mm -hmm. and i i think i think back to like when i was at my prime in soccer and like some of the some of the younger kids now they're like probably 16 17 and they can play to the level that i was playing at when i was at my prime so soccer is evolving
0: yeah yeah it, it takes a lot of dedication I remember uh, when I used to play. I used to run cross country before the mm-hmm. season started, just to be able to get in shape for soccer. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like a lot of running. I mean, it's it's I don't know. It's nonstop. You know, some of the other sports you can hide, kind of pass the ball around or kind of hang back or something like that, but not in soccer. Yeah.
1: Like, no. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's pretty cool. I think that was one of the other things that uh, I really enjoyed about soccer. That for some people it looks so easy, but it's just it's, it's a huge game of chess and I love chess. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Tell me a little bit of kind of what you do now and, you know, the focus that your, your law firm has. And, you know, I guess, do you do, uh, what, what kind of law do you practice? Uh, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So I handle all of the immigration work in our office. Um, our, I'd say about 70% of the work in our office is personal injuries or civil law case, civil civil litigation. So civil litigation can be anything from like a breach of contract to um, a slip and fall to a car wreck, um, name changes, things like that. Um, so I do the immigration. I do all the immigration law. I handle a majority of the family law. So divorces, guardianships. Uh, we don't do adoptions. Uh, we also do some estate planning, so if you need a will, if you need a power of attorney, uh, if you need um, a durable power of attorney because you're, you know, or your family member is gonna, like has dementia or something of that sort, we can help we can help in family matters of that, like, of that sort. Um, and then we also do some workers compensation. Uh, so, okay. so we have a lot of people who believe they don't have rights as employees because they don't have any documents or aren't working legally but you do okay so if you know someone who thinks they can't go to the doctor or can't get a lawyer because they got hurt at work and they're not working with documents they have rights they too can be protected um and so that- let me ask you
0: so if someone is you know undocumented can they still set up a business because i think it's really important to set up that business to protect you and your assets you know in case yeah. anything goes wrong right so
1: absolutely is that a possibility Uh, Yes. uh, even I'm going to dig just a little deeper there because I believe it's the Oklahoma Constitution that says that undocumented people cannot own property in Oklahoma. And so one way to get around that is to form a a business and then have the business hold the property. There you go. A little nugget right there. A little (laughs) nugget, yeah. So we've seen that. We've seen that happen. But then we've also um, just seen we have a few under our biggest client is an undocumented person who runs a million dollar construction company, uh, million dollars plus, and he does work all over the U S. Um, okay. but yeah, I mean, undocumented, you know, and he does this thing and, and pays his people, pays his taxes, make sure he has all the insurance coverages he needs. Uh, yeah. and so we do a lot of that with them as well, making sure that their business is, uh, doing the right things, has the right protections, uh, we review contracts for them if that's what they need. Uh, and then with that also always, you know, maybe, maybe the person's dedicating too much uh, time to their business. And so then eventually they're going to get a divorce. And so then we're there for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes it tends
0: to happen. Unfortunately,
1: it does. Sometimes divorces have, um, immigration consequences. And so then we're there to do to help with that, you know? And, um, so we're kind of like your one-stop shop, for just about anything you need, except tax work, we're, we're not we're not tax attorneys. Um, yeah. But I always, always, always um, say that if there's there's something that I can't help you with, I'll help find someone that can.
0: Okay, cool. All right, I like that. So tell me, just uh, how'd you decide to focus on that type of law?
1: So Lambert has been doing uh, civil litigation for a long time. He's done tons of car wrecks, tons of vehicle. Um, accidents um, accident reconstruction uh, medical malpractice cases um, he's done all that Uh, that's been a majority of what he's done over the last 15 years and then he he attended um, holy angels catholic church and he was one of the only white dudes in the whole church and so from that kind of stemmed the immigration work where they're like oh he's a lawyer if we need anything done with immigration you know and so he started learning some immigration and then kind of taught me what he knew. And now I've continued to learn more on that. Awesome. And that, that kind of goes with the family law side of it as well. Uh, there's always a need for it, especially family law attorneys who speak Spanish. There aren't many. And to have a translator interpreter there every time that you have to meet with the client gets expensive for the client. Some of these yeah. interpreters, translators charge $60 an hour. Um, so now instead of just paying the attorney for the hour, you're also paying a translator and now your cost has gone up, uh, a third of maybe what you were just going to pay. Right. Uh, and I
0: think also like, you know, you being able to speak Spanish, you know, probably helps the client feel more comfortable, right? Yeah. Like they can just speak in their native language, speak Spanish to you. They can identify with you. So, you know, they're probably not as intimidating, right? Because you get this big old legal contract or something whatever the case you're fighting and it's intimidating right like it's it's written like a law document it's not even written like in you know normal english. english right <laughs> so yeah. that's that's probably pretty cool that they can just like speak spanish to you right
1: yeah and that was um, i had a friend miguel who's writing a an essay for the ocu um, for the ocu law law review and he actually he asked me a few questions and was looking for a quote on on, on basically that. like, What does it mean to you to be a Latino working in the community and representing clients in, in this yeah. community? And part of that is that we, I understand their culture. I understand where they're coming from. If they're telling me something that's going on in their household, I probably lived it. Or if they're mm-hmm. telling me something that's going on with their family, I probably have heard something similar to it or experience something similar to it. And so then I'm able also to connect in that way instead of awesome. not just the language, right, but our culture. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think that's that definitely like it it, it makes that that client so much more comfortable and, and they, they speak more, right. And, and that's another thing that we need more Latino, Latina, Latinx attorneys that speak the language and understand the culture so that our people are heard more. Yeah, Our people just need to be heard. Sometimes they just need someone to listen. Even if they, they'll know in the back of their head, they'll know that there's nothing that we can do for them, but they just need someone to hear it. And then someone okay. to, to reiterate that and just tell them, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do at this point. I see,
0: okay, cool. Tell me about your last track, man. I can't believe we've already you know, gone through your list no, here. But we have done. a little bit of buble. Yeah,
1: <laughs> feeling good. Tell me good. about this track. Man, this is my morning jam. Like, if I studied 10, for 10 weeks straight, I think I'd listen to it for 10 weeks straight every day because I couldn't study if I wasn't feeling good, you know?
0: Are you a coffee guy in the morning? Or Not really,
1: coffee? no. No? Um, How do you wake up? <laughs> I, just, I just get up and go. Uh, okay. Splash of water, rinse the face off, brush the teeth. It's mm-hmm. That little routine... It's And then breakfast, always, always breakfast. You can't miss breakfast. Um, Coffee, I picked up a little bit, but not so much. Like, like a habit, you know, or like I I had to have my coffee or I won't wake up. But music is my coffee. There you go. (laughs) Music is my coffee. But with this song, um, my friend Ivan actually introduced me to Michael Bublé, Frank Sinatra uh and the likes and we actually went to a i guess a frank sinatra impersonator uh concert here at the civic center a couple years ago and i mean it was just it's it's its own vibe right so now i've been to all types of concerts (laughs) Uh, i've got got all types of genres live and into hip-hop,
0: dubstep, hip-hop dubstep <laughs> big tejano big band yeah big band yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> the tamborazo i was just at a wedding with the tamborazo last weekend there you go <laughs> um <laughs> but like seeing him or like seeing someone like this take the stage by themselves um where sometimes they hide the the musicians and take command of the stage right it's like I think when I, when I hear this song sometimes, I think of him just walking that stage with the lights just shining down on him. And I think back to the time uh, from graduation, law school graduation, where those lights were just like burning down on me. But there you go. we're here, we're in the spotlight <laughs> because uh, our, our graduation was at the Civic Center, which is it was beautiful because mm-hmm. a couple of the classes after that had to do it at the law school or at the, uh, in the gymnasium. And
0: also the confidence, right? Like the confidence of walking in and, you know, acting like you're supposed to be there. Like, yeah. you know, I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so that, I'm glad you bring that up because I, I'm thinking back to some of my time, my, some of my first days walking into law school. And as I'm walking up, I'm looking, I like parked like on 8th Street and I'm looking down south towards downtown Oklahoma City. And so I see the law school, and just behind the law school, I see all of downtown. And I, like, be walking into the school with this huge smile because I just got off the car. I just listened to some good music, and I'm feeling good as I'm walking into the school. And I love being at the school. I love being at the law school. And I love yeah. I love education. That's my thing. Uh, but to have the music, to have the view, to have that space, I mean... It just all made me feel good.
0: All right. So just tell me, uh, let's see, we're wrapping up your list here. Uh, one of the things that I like to ask all the guests is to have you guys ask a question to the audience.
1: Um, <clears throat> I think um, we, we kind of touched on the entrepreneurial spirit and like how being smart is cool now or and we talked about some of those obstacles that I faced and I think the one thing I want you listeners to ask yourself is what is stopping me okay okay ask yourself what is stopping you figure that out and then ask yourself why is it stopping you once you figure out why then ask yourself how you can get past it and you're set those I, you I, I need go. you to figure those out um awesome you know but I really think that you know once we figure out that what then we can start thinking about why and then start thinking okay. about how we can solve it
0: that's a great question uh for the people that are out there that want to see what you know everything you're involved with uh, you want to share any of your IG or YouTube or Facebook or Absolutely. any of your social media?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Find me on Twitter at Latino, L-A-W-T-I-N-O. Find me on Instagram, OKC.Latino. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. It'd be a little harder, maybe as Javier Hernandez, but you know, if you, if you'd like to stay up to date with what I'm doing, um, or anything that I have going on, please do follow me. Give us a like. Uh, Also, find us at Dunn Hernandez or on Facebook uh, at D U N N H D Z, and uh, you know, reach out. I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to answer any questions. Sometimes all it takes is a hey, and then it goes from there. You know. Um, There you go. So I'm looking to build more connections with our community. I'm looking to meet more people like yourself, and and just anything that I can do to to help us all move forward, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to help.
0: Yeah, one of the things I've noticed about you is that you like to you know, shout out different people around the community and kind of you know, help one another. And I think we all need to do more of that, right? Yeah. Like, we're all in this together, so why not help each other, right? Yes,
1: sir, yes, sir. Awesome,
0: I like it, man. Thanks a lot, I really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed your music. I enjoyed the stories behind your music and congratulations on all your success. And I wish you, you know, a ton more success in the future. Thank you to you as well. Awesome. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, this is the Maverick Podcast. Just chill to the next episode.